Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org and please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. get along? Or maybe it's a question that you've heard. How do you know that Jesus is the only way? Or maybe somebody makes a statement saying, why are you so narrow-minded? And tonight we learn that Israel was supposed to be narrow-minded. They were not supposed to be a nation that just got along with all the other nations of the world in the sense of allowing their nation to be compromised and turning away from the voice of God, turning away from keeping the commandments of God and turning away from doing what was right in the sight of God. So I believe, going through Deuteronomy 13 and 14, though there are many things that we do not actually relate to as Christians today, there's much that we can learn from because we live in a nation where people are crying out, can't we all just get along? Of course, when they say, can't we get along, it often means, can't you just agree with the things that I'm doing? Even though we don't agree with the things that you believe in or teach. So they would say to us that we are narrow-minded. And that is not exactly the way I would like to describe it here tonight. For the Israelis, I would say that they were to be Yahweh-minded. For us today, we are to be Christ-minded. Deuteronomy 13 gives us three different scenarios where communities, individuals, or even the entire nation could be tempted to worship other gods, this chapter easily divides into three sections as Moses gives instructions to the children of Israel about how they were to deal with false prophets, with dreamer of dreams, apostate family members or dear friends, or maybe even an entire city that turned away from God. They were to remain Yahweh-minded at all times. As I go through these studies, I love to pick out a key verse or key verses. Tonight, in Deuteronomy 13, it's two verses, verses 17 and 18. It really gives us an idea of this. The desire of the Lord for the children of Israel. Actually, closing out the chapter, the Lord says, So none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy, and have compassion on you, and multiply you, just as he swore to your fathers, because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all his commandments, which I command you today, and to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord your God. And so that's summing up the chapter. Let's get into the chapter itself. Our first section we find in verses 1 through 5 a prophet or a dreamer. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go up after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away 
the evil from your midst. So Israel, as a nation, was not to entertain anyone who attempted to draw them away from Yahweh. There is a difference between being a prophet or being a dreamer of dreams or a foreteller of dreams. In the Hebrew, two different Hebrew words are at play here. And it speaks about a revelation by dreams or a revelation given from the Lord to the prophet, the prophet received from the Lord. In Numbers 12, 6, we have one of the ways that a prophet would receive from the Lord. This actually comes when Miriam and Aaron tried to condemn their brother and spoke against their brother Moses, saying that he took on too much for himself and they should have equal standing. And God is speaking to Miriam and Aaron. And God said to them, Numbers twelve six, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. So here in Numbers twelve six, God gives a couple of ways that he would speak to prophets through visions and through dreams. He would go on to say in Numbers twelve seven, though it's not written in my notes, he would say, not so with Moses. I speak to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And so God, through the prophets, through visions and dreams, prophets would prophesy the word of the Lord. A prophet was more of a proclaimer and interpreter of a revelation. And those revelations that were received from the dreamer of dreams, well, it made me think of Joseph. He, yes, he dreamed dreams. He also was able to interpret dreams. So he had his own dreams that he interpreted for his brothers, for his father and mother. But also he interpreted the dreams, if you recall, from Genesis and the account of Genesis of the baker and the butler and that of Pharaoh himself. So much so that when the butler told of Joseph and Joseph stood before Pharaoh in Genesis 41, 15 and 16, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. And so Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So Moses gives a scenario here where either a prophet or a dreamer of dreams tells of signs and wonders and of the signs and wonders actually coming to pass. But when they come to pass and the people are attracted to the individual Instead of the individual pointing the people toward Yahweh, he tries to point them away from God to worship and serve other gods, which they have not known. And the Lord told the people, if this happens, they were to recognize that God was testing them. Verses 3 and 4, Moses telling Israel, God was testing them to know whether you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, you shall walk after the Lord your God. You shall fear him. You shall keep his commandments, obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. So Moses has already given us these words as being uh, given to us again, that which he have already said in Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so we find that in Deuteronomy 13, 3. God is testing you to see whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And again, we find um, to walk after the Lord, to fear the Lord, to keep his commandments. Well, that's Deuteronomy 6, 13 and 14. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. You shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. Such false prophets or dreamers of dreams though they were able to produce signs and wonders. Because they attempted to lure the people away from Yahweh, who had redeemed them out of the land of Egypt, who had brought them out of bondage, that they might walk in his commandments, 
these dreamers, these false prophets were to be put to death. In the Bible, we have a test given to us from Deuteronomy 18. We'll be getting to that probably next month. But a preview of that. It's a good portion of scripture to know. Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22, it says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And you may say in your heart, how shall we know the word of the Lord that he has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So here we have a situation where the prophet says, thus says the Lord, and it doesn't happen. And God says, don't be afraid of that prophet. They're false prophets. In our text, we have a situation where a prophet says, thus says the Lord, speaks of signs and wonders, and it does happen. And after that, they try to point the people away to other gods. Then once again, you're not to listen, not to listen to them. I've always found it interesting, and it happened again around the 9-11 attacks in the U.S. or just after, the attraction that people have toward Nostradamus, who was a French pharmacist who was born in 1503 and lived until 1566. Nostradamus has been accredited by some to have prophetic writings that have supposedly predicted modern events ranging from Hitler and the rise of Hitler in Germany to the 9-11 tax in the U.S. On several occasions, I've had young uh, youth, I wrote young here, I meant to say youth or young adults, speak or ask me about Nostradamus. And yet, the prophecies of Nostradamus can be categorized in what is called retro active clairvoyancy. It's something that's written before must be changed to fit in a modern event. As believers, we must not concern ourselves with the writings of Nostradamus or others. In fact, when they tried to say that Nostradamus predicted 9-11, they took Phrases from four different writings of Nostradamus put them together as one sentence to say that he prophesied about Nostradamus. And it would be like picking portions of a verse in four different places of the Bible, which you can make the Bible say practically anything other than it was intended to say, or make it try to say something that could support something of our day. We are not to be deceived by anyone who, though they are able to do signs and wonders, if they attempt to point us to a different direction other than God, other than Yahweh, other than Jesus, today, we should not even bother with that. Change course, change direction. Don't even pay attention to it. But what if it's a brother, a son, a daughter, a wife, or a close friend? Well, Moses deals with that in verses 6 through 11. He says, if your brother, the son of your mother, or your son of, or your daughter, the wife of your bosom, or a friend who is as your own soul, secretly entices you, saying, let us go up and serve other gods, which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers, of the gods of the people which are all around you near to you or far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. You shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him. But you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. You shall stone him with stones until he dies, because he has sought to entice you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So all Israel shall hear and fear and not again do such wickedness as this among you. So now Moses warns of apostates. 
Those who arise from a family, it could be a brother, a son, a daughter, a wife, or a dear friend. Like the prophet or the dreamer of dreams, someone from the family or one of their dearest friends attempts to draw them away after another God. It didn't matter which God, and it didn't matter from where the God came, from one end of the earth to the other. These were to be publicly exposed. And the person tried to secretly induce them or entice them, but they were to be publicly exposed. Once again, they attempted to entice a person to forsake Yahweh, to serve other gods, and no matter the gods, no matter where the God came from, Israel was to remain Yahweh-minded always. Again, we see in Deuteronomy 6, 14 and 15, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Now in the New Testament, Peter would write, 2 Peter 2, 1, but there were also false prophets among the people even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Now here's a noted difference from the laws given to Israel in the book of Deuteronomy and what Peter says in Second Peter 2. In the book of Deuteronomy, what we just read, that individual who tries to secretly induce a family member or a close friend, they were to be exposed and they were to be put to death. And in fact, the person who brought the person toward the community, they were to be the first ones to cast the stone. But in 2 Peter 2, verse 1, Peter said, that the false teachers, the false prophets would bring upon themselves swift destruction. The Lord will deal with it. We need to be aware of it. For Israel, they were not to conceal the matter. They were rather to expose it. Even if it was a family member or a close friend, they were to bring them to trial before the whole community. If found guilty, the witnesses of the apostate were to be the first ones to cast the first stones. We just studied this in John 7, in John chapter 8, I mean, verse 7, when Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery. Now, we didn't just study it because this was the last thing I taught on prior to breaking my neck, so it has been nine weeks. But in my mind, we just studied this. <laughs> I just took two months off in between. Remember what Jesus said, though, let him who is without sin among you cast the first stone. And that was the practice. It seems very harsh on us. We um, have a crime, and Israel was so engaged, so involved, that they would have to participate in the judgment. Those who condemned an individual were the ones who were supposed to cast the first stone, and then the whole community, according to Deuteronomy 17. We'll see this uh, next month as well. Deuteronomy 17, verses 2 through 7. We'll look at this a little bit later. But those deserving of death, verse 6, being put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses, the witnesses, Deuteronomy 17, 7, the hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterwards, the hands of all the people. So it wasn't left to the individual. It wasn't left to a few individuals in a firing squad or someone um, pulling a switch to have someone electrocuted. It was very hands-on. It would really cause you to think about what you were doing and participating in. And it even reminded me of when they stoned the beloved Stephen in Acts 7, 58 and 59. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
And they stoned Stephen while he called on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The witnesses, those who were stoning, the witnesses, the ones who had to cast the first stones, laid down their clothing at the feet of Saul. Whether Saul stoned Stephen or just gave approval of the actions of the witnesses, we do not have any more information than that. But sadly, whether a prophet, a dreamer of dreams, a brother, a son, a daughter, a wife, or a dear friend, the guilty party was to be stoned, to be put to death, removing the apostasy from the land. And it was to be a deterrent, a warning to all Israel that they would hear and fear and not again do such wickedness. Well, what if the whole city goes off course? The whole city. Every time I said that I, in my head today, or read it, um, I thought of Las Vegas. There's a city who's went off course. But then I also remembered one of the Calvary Chapel pastors who is now with the Lord, who pastored for years in Las Vegas, talking about how it was doing ministry in Las Vegas. A couple of things that I remembered. He said, one, he said, I just shield my eyes from my house to the church. So I don't know, that's a tough way to go about life, but that's one thing I remembered about himself. I just chilled, chill my eyes, shield my eyes from my house to my church. And number two, he says, by the time someone makes it into our church, I don't have to convince them that they're sinners. They already know that in Las Vegas. And they're ready to give their heart to Jesus by the time they walk in our church doors. But what if the whole city, verses 12 through 18, finishes out this chapter? If you hear someone in one of your cities, which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying, corrupt men have gone out from among you and entice the inhabitants of their city, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known, then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that an abomination was committed among you, you shall strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it, its livestock, with the edge of the sword. You shall gather all its plunder into the middle of the street, completely burn with fire the city of its plunder for the Lord your God, it shall be a heap forever, and it shall not be built again. So none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand, that the Lord may turn away from the fierceness of the anger to show you mercy. So that was the two key verses, 17 and 18. We close out the chapter reading that. That the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger, show you mercy, have compassion, multiply you just as he swore to your fathers. Because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all his commandments, which I command you today, to do right in what is right in the sights of the eyes, sight of the eyes of the Lord your God. So Moses instructed Israel about a whole city that went after other gods. They were to be utterly destroyed. That's how it's translated in the New King James. But the word speaks about being put under divine judgment. So it's a Hebrew word, karim, that refers to placing a person or a thing or even a city under God's judgment and their complete destruction or annihilation. And it was primarily applied to the people of the land. They were going into the promised land. They were to do this to the inhabitants of the promised land. But even if their own people went after other gods, they were to do it to them as well. They were not to keep, like Jericho, they were not to take any of the plunder of Jericho. But Achan took some of that plunder and when Israel went to the smaller city to attack it, the second city after they entered into the promised land, Ai, not Ai, 
but the city was spelt A-I. Um, today, that has a whole different meaning for us. Um, they were defeated, and they asked the Lord why, and the Lord said, there's sin in your camp. And it came to the person, Achan, who confessed that he took some silver and gold, a Babylonian garment. He had buried it in his tent. He brought him out. He showed the people. And in Joshua chapter 7, Achan was judged. He and his household, they were stoned. A heap was piled over them to be a testimony of those who went against the word of the Lord. So Deuteronomy 2.34, at that time they were to seize all the cities, put every one of them under divine judgment, the same Hebrew word applied here, as we find in our text here in Deuteronomy 13. And it reminded me of the children of Dan. They did exactly this. They went after other gods. They didn't even like the inheritance that they had received. And they found a new place to dwell way up north in Israel and far away from all the other people of Israel. Now, I have to admit, I visited the site where Dan made their homestead. And it is a beautiful area. I understand the attraction. It reminded me of being in Hawaii in many ways. But they went against the word of the Lord. They brought with them a false priest to be the priest for them, receiving false prophecy. And ultimately, when Israel divided to the ten northern tribes to the north and the two southern tribes to the south, when they put one of the false altars up, that false altar went up in Dan. The ruins of that altar are still there to this day. I've sat on the steps of it. And it sits as a testimony of those who have went against the word of the Lord. If Israel would find a city to do this, notice they were to investigate it. They were to inquire, search it out, and ask diligently, verse 14. So it, they had to make sure that this is actually what was going on. And if it was, they were to come against them as if they were a heathen Nathan nation, as if the nations that they destroyed as they entered into the promised land. So three different sections of this chapter, Israel was to remove accursed worshipers and the things either from a person's house or life, uh, perhaps in the case of a depraved city or even from their nation. They were to be vigilant to root out all apostasies in order that God might turn from the fierceness of his wrath, instead might bring mercy and compassion upon the individual or the nation. When I think about being Yahweh-minded, it caused me to think of Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found as the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now today, God has never called the church to have witch hunts, to kill apostates among us. It may be in a church life that you deal with church discipline and, and the scripture gives us a pathway of doing and handling church discipline and even taking it to the point of putting someone outside of the fellowship. But we are not to conduct ourselves as they did in the Old Testament in this way. We are to be aware of these things. We are to be Yahweh-minded or Christ-minded. We are to guard our faith, to stand upon the truth that Jesus is the only way. 
We're not to entertain the faiths of others in the sense to compromise our faith. We're to remain faithful to God, to his word, to his son, to the Holy Spirit, and to his church. As children of Christ, we should grow in and defend our faith against all others. And some might call us being narrow-minded when we do this, but I'd like to think that we are just being Yahweh or Christ-minded. Chapter 14. In chapter 14, we have another three-section breakdown that we'll look at, and then he goes... I believe, yes, into a fourth section. Let's see. Maybe it's just three. <laughs> Here we go. Deuteronomy 14, key verse, verse 2. At least it's the key verse for me. For you are a holy people to the Lord, your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So the uniqueness of Israel was not only in whom they worshiped, but how they worshiped. In Deuteronomy 14, Moses deals with three issues. I should have just listed, looked at my notes. Three issues in which teaches how they were to worship the Lord their God. Israel, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, they were not to mourn like the rest of the world. You are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head for the dead. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. As Yahweh's holy, chosen, and special treasure. Israelis were not to mourn like the rest of the world. And it was customary by the pagans to shave a portion of their hair or to cut themselves during a time of mourning, a time of mourning. So no cutting of the flesh, no unorthodox beard shaving for the dead. Israelis had, for the men, hopefully just the men, had beards. But it mattered how they kept their beards. They were not to keep them as the other nations did or make these special cuts in their flesh or on their beards or shaving their heads. Things that were associated with idol worship in the countries that they were actually dispossessing the Israelis were to stand in opposition to these things. They were to worship by a new standard, by God's standard, in faith and practice. Not just believing that God who delivered them from Egypt was their God, but they were to live it out in their lives. In other words, Israel was not to mourn as the world mourns, as a people without any hope. That's true that the church today in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now, I'm not saying that we're not sad when a loved one passes away. And uh, I still consider my dad, I was thinking about him this week, and just the great number of years that he has been gone from my life and still how much he had taught me during the short time, what I feel was a short time. He passed away when I was 28 and I'm not 28 or 29 or 30 or 40 or 50, getting in the 60s, yes. It's been a while. But when I think about dad, I think about him as one having hope that I will see him again as I'll see my mom again and all my loved ones who've known the Lord and are with the Lord now. So as believers, we're not to worship or we are not to mourn like the rest of the world as someone who is without any hope. We're also Israel in the second section, 
verses 3 through 21, was not to eat like the rest of the world. As Yahweh's holy, chosen, and special treasure, Israelis were not like to, they were not to eat like the rest of the world, but were to worship the Lord through the things that they ate and did not eat. And Moses reminded Israel about the dietary do's and don'ts. These are mostly found in Leviticus chapter 11. And God desired Israel to be holy, that they might reflect his holiness to all the nations in the world around them. And so this breaks down, this is where my, how many sections, because this second section actually subdivides. And it first speaks about the land animals in verses three through eight. You shall not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals which you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the mountain goat, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. And you may eat every animal with cloven hooves, having hoofs split in two parts, and that chew the cud among the animals. Nevertheless, those that chew the cud or have cloven hoofs, you shall not eat such as these, the camel, the hare, the rocks, hyrax, for they chew the cud, but they do not have cloven hooves. They are unclean for you. Also, the swine is unclean for you because it has cloven hooves, but does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh nor touch their dead carcass. So it has to do with Israeli laws for being kosher. And that word for kosher means in the Hebrew to be fit or appropriate. It describes foods that are suitable for Jews to eat and other foods that are not considered kosher. So we would say it's either being kosher or unkosher. For the land animals, any creature that both chewed its cud and had split hoofs, they could eat. But if they only had one or the other, then they could not eat. So unkosher, the best known for us, is swine or pigs. Of the water, verse 9 and 10, you may eat of all that are in the water. You may eat of all the fins, all that have fins and scales. And whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. So the fish, the creatures of the seas, the rivers, the ponds, Israelis are to eat any fish that has both fins and scales. That would be deemed acceptable. They were not allowed to eat water creatures that didn't have fins and or scales. So the popular shellfish of our day, lobster, I actually had a piece of shrimp tonight, mussels, they were not to eat. And a favorite of mine that I grew up eating because it was the only fish that my dad ever cooked and my mom cooked was catfish. They have fins, but they don't have scales of the air verses 11 through 20 of all the clean birds you may eat but these you shall not eat the eagle the vulture the buzzard the red kite the falcon the kite after its kinds every raven after its kind the ostrich the short-eared owl the seagull the hawk after their kind the little owl the screech owl the white owl the jackdaw the carrion vulture, the fisher owl, the stork, the heron after its kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. Also, every creeping thing that flies is unclean to you. You shall not eat it, but you may eat all clean birds. So Leviticus 11 also went through the list very much like this. And they both did the same thing. In both Deut or Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14, they never said what the clean birds were. They just listed out the unclean birds. We went through a list of that now. The Torah approved birds, kosher birds, would be chickens, turkeys, duck, geese, pigeons. I don't know about the pigeons, but it, it's on their list. But forbidden birds, vultures, ostrich, hawks, seagulls, and every creeping thing like reptiles, amphibians, insects that are forbidden 
except for four types that were not forbidden in Scripture. They don't list these out, but it's the in the Hebrew, they list four different types of locusts, um, which would describe locusts, destroying locusts, crickets, and grasshoppers. So you notice that the animals, whether they're land animals, birds, or fish, mostly the carnivorous of these are deemed unclean. Since touching the dead would make a Jew ceremonially unclean, it stands to reason that eating these animals that fed on carcasses of the dead would also cause them to be unclean. But he's not done yet. No roadkill. So if it's that time of year when the bucks and the does are crossing the road, and uh, I've known at one time as a brick mason, a bricklayer that took the whole day off work because he came across a fresh deer roadkill. Had to get on that thing right away. But God said no. Deuteronomy 14.21 You shall not eat anything that dies of itself. You may give it to the alien who is within your gates that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. You shall not eat you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. So two different things described here. If roadkill or a young goat in Deuteronomy 14, 21. The roadkill, as I thought about this, they had a method of properly, uh, still to this day, to make an animal kosher. It has to be killed. Its blood has to be drained in a certain manner. And if it's roadkill, that did not happen. The blood remained inside the animal. It was not properly drained, so it was deemed unkosher. As in Leviticus 17, 11 and 12, it says, The life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for your souls. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, No one among you shall eat blood, or any stranger in dwells among you to eat blood. So this could be part of that, as I was thinking about it today. Why not the roadkill, if it's a fresh kill? Um, I had pheasant dinner once because I hit the pheasant and uh, went after it. And we had pheasant for dinner that night. So I've been guilty of the roadkill myself, I guess. And then we have... The mother's milk. This is three times. It's found here in Deuteronomy 14.21. Also found in Exodus 23.19, Exodus 34.26. And in each place, it just seems to be tagged at the end of the passage. But perhaps it is more about something that the pagans did in their worship that was detestable to God that God said, I don't want you guys doing this. Now in Israel today, they've taken this to an extreme that they cannot have a dairy and meat at the same meal. They got tired of me, not Lily, but me. When we were in Israel at dinner time, they always had fresh baked breads, but no butter. And, uh, Every night, I would ask for butter. And finally, one night, he gave me a whole pound of butter. I think he was tired of me. So for our church group, hey guys, I got butter. We didn't have such prohibition, but they have the prohibition. But I don't believe it's scriptural. That has come from out of the Torah and people asking about the laws. And you think about the commandments of the Lord and today they talk about the uh, commandments of the Lord, that there's 613 commandments of the Lord. Many of these commandments are people questioning, what did God mean when he said, you shall not eat a young goat in its mother's milk? And then a determination by the scribes or by the priests or by rabbis coming to a conclusion of what God meant this became tradition or part of the law. And so some of this may have been 
just more tradition that has developed after the fact. But God did have a prohibition against no young goat in its mother's milk. It was detestable to the Lord. So many believe that these food laws are to be kept to this day. I've never felt that this is laws that are to be upon the church today. But there are things that are allowable that in reality we have in our society today saying that you guys, maybe you should stop eating steak. Stop eating that bacon. How about some fried cricket for breakfast? It's allowable in the word of God. So if you want to eat locusts, grasshoppers, crickets, permissible foods, be my guest. 1 Corinthians 8, 8 and 9 says, But the food does not condemn us or commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we any better, or if we do not eat are we worse. But beware lest somehow this liberty of you becomes of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. So we have to consider others around us and be considerate to those who are around us. Don't cause your brother or sister to stumble. But the food laws and the dietary restriction given to the Jews has not been transferred to the church today. And finally, Israel was not to tithe or give money to the church, the work of their religion, like the rest of the world. So truly, the tithe of all your increase, verses 22 through 29. Truly, the tithe of all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year, you shall eat before the Lord your God. In the place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain, of your new wine, of your oil, of the firstborn, of your herds, of your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long, if the journey is too long for you so that you're not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall exchange it for money. You shall take the money in your hand, go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And there you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires. I, I always love this. This is the tithe that they were to set apart, the first fruits of their flock, of their uh, fields, of their wine, of their oil, of their first burn of the firstborn of the herds and the flocks. But when they got to Jerusalem, where the temple was, let's say, they could take the money, spend on whatever for their heart's desire, for oxen, verse 26, or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires, you may eat before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part of the inheritance with you. At the end of every third year, so this is a different tithe, same tithe, but they were to do something different with the tithe. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year stored up within your gates. The Levite, because he has no portion in the inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you and all the works of your hands that you do. So there was to be a difference in the third year, every third year. But as Yahweh's holy, chosen, and special treasure, Israelis were to worship the Lord through their tithes. But unlike the pagans who worshiped in various places, Throughout the land, they were to gather in one place to worship the name of Yahweh, wherever he chose to put his name. And that changed from the time they entered into the promised land. The tabernacle was found in Gilgal, Shiloh, Nob, Gibeon, and finally there in Jerusalem. But the people were to gather according to the word of the Lord and found four times in Exodus 23 verses 14 and 17 
Exodus 34, verses 23 and 24, that three times a year, all males were to appear before the Lord, where they could have communion with God and one another. They were to rejoice before Yahweh with their children, with their servants, with the Levites who dwelt in their gates and with the strangers there in the land. If the journey was far, they couldn't bring or travel easily with the tithe of their flock, herd, or the produce of their land. They could cash it in for cash, bring the money there, but also they participated, they celebrated. They had joy. Now, I've been one who, and Lily and I, from the time we got married, uh, just carried in the practice of tithing into our household. We'd never stopped. But we also, through the years, developed a practice, and sometimes it depends on how the Lord is blessing us, how we're doing financially. But there was one period that, uh, as I was reading these verses, really stood out to me, where it was the beginning of the year, a horrific start of the year. I'd been unemployed for 10 months, and yet the Lord was challenging me to support a missionary offering in the church that we attended. And I thought, there's no way that we can afford to, you know, I didn't want to take away from the tithe that we were giving to the church, but also I didn't feel that we had extra income. I mean, I'd been unemployed for 10 months out of that year, so there was no extra income. So finally, I told the Lord in a prayer, and I even wrote it on a pledge card to the church, whatever they did with it, I don't know. But I told them, to the missionary outreach to this church, I will give you a half a percent of whatever I make this year. It'll go to this mission fund. Now in my head, I was thinking maybe I could afford five bucks. By the end of the year, that uh, actually doubled what I was thinking I might be able to afford. And at that time in my life, and I have proof of it because I know when the period was, because every year Social Security sends me uh, a printout of the funds that goes into my Social Security account, and I can see, yep, that's the year where I barely worked, and that's the following year where God blessed me more than any other year prior to that. And so at the end of that time, we went through the year, and it was kind of like, my attitude was like, gee, Lily, that was fun. Let's increase it. Let's do another half a percent. And so we did. And then the end of the next year, it's like, that was really cool. Let's increase it. Let's do another percent. And we did. The end of the next year, we did it again. Let's up it another percent. And we did. And it got to a point in there that we weren't funneling our money all through the church anymore. We were taking some of that money and just holding it that if the Lord would present a need that would come to our attention, then the Lord has already, it was like joyous. We already have this provided. And we were able to help when needs arised around us. Now, when it got to the fourth year, I was in the school of ministry my income at the school of ministry, not that they paid me in the school, but I was a janitor at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And I can see it every year. I get the Social Security report of the income that went into Social Security that year. And I can see right there when I was a janitor at Costa Mesa, I actually made less money than the year I didn't work 10 months out of the year. I made like two or three hundred dollars less, and yet God provided. But during that time, there was no extra money any longer. We, in fact, not only moved to California, we owned a home, and basically everything doubled when we moved to California. 
So we made a lot less money and things cost a lot more. So we dropped back. The extra was no longer able to do that. So we went back to just giving um, a regular tithe of our income to the Lord and the work of the Lord. But also we watched the Lord do amazing things during that time, providing for us. Tithing was not to be a hardship, but a celebration of Yahweh's provision and the expectation of his future blessing. Verse 29, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. Let's go ahead and stand together. It's been a while, but for the radio listeners, for our video audience, maybe now you're watching live or you're going to see this or hear this at a later time. I wanted to do the ABCs of salvation. I did this for almost two years straight every Wednesday night, and then I got away from it because I started preaching too long. And so I just figured I don't have time to do it. We're going to squeeze it in today. The ABCs of salvation. The A is for admit. Admit to God that you are a sinner and ask for his forgiveness. The Bible tells us in Romans 3:23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But in 1 John 1, 9, it tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The A is admit. Admit to God that you are a sinner. Ask for forgiveness. The B, believe. Believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross, his death, burial, resurrection. I like to add his ascension into the right, into heaven. As Romans 5.8 tells us, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross. And the C, confess, confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Share that faith with others. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the, with the heart one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're listening on radio tonight or watching through our social media or through video, through our webpage, you have questions, please email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. This coming Sunday, 10 a.m., we're back in our chronological journey through the Gospels. Lesson number 58, but we're going to be in John chapter 9 this coming Sunday. I look forward to being with you, either here or on social media or through the radio. Let's go ahead and ask God to bless our evening. Thank you, Lord, for the teaching of your word. And Lord, we're looking at laws that you gave to Israel so many years ago. And many of these things, Lord, we're not held to many of these standards, but some of the things are important for us, like the worship of other gods, a staying true to be Christ-minded in all that we do, of, Lord, bringing the tithe into the storehouse that we might rejoice and celebrate with the people of the land, the people within our church. Lord, we live in a day and age that many churches are struggling, and we have been one of those churches in times past. Even the beginning of this year was a very difficult time for our fellowship but we have watched you, Lord, time and time again to provide for our church, for the families within our church. And I know, Lord, uh, there are threats out there once again that we might be returning back to days that we lived in, like during the pandemic. And Lord, we wonder what the future might hold. Today, we give you praise, Lord knowing that you hold the future. Help us to remain faithful. Help us to remain joyous. And help us to seek your will and your way in all that we do. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I do pray that God would bless you, that he would keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.